is up, Citizens Youth? How we doing? All right, good to be with you guys. How is life? Hey guys, summer's right around the corner, all right? So if you got reason to have, be hopeful and be thankful, summer is almost here. We've got a few more weeks, hopefully, of the gray and the cloudiness, and then it will be nonstop sun. Who's, who's excited for that? Yeah! Let's go! Summer camp is happening soon, and man, we have been praying, we have been planning, and we believe, listen up, listen up, we believe that this summer camp is going to be amazing. We're super excited for it. Um, we are excited for um, everything that God is doing, the people he's bringing to help lead us. Um, the, the, the games are super cool and super fun, like all of this stuff. I'm getting really excited for camp, and I hope that you are too. And uh, if you're new tonight, by the way, my name is Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here. And uh, open up your Bible to Acts chapter 9. Open up your Bible. We are finishing up our series with all boldness. Everybody say, aw. With all boldness. I've enjoyed being in the book of Acts with you guys for the majority of this school year. We were in it in the fall, and now we're here again in this uh, springtime. And um, as you're flipping there, I want us to all be thinking about... Uh, what we've been learning, the story thus far of the apostles and the uh, spirit of God moving and growing the church and uh, how that impacts us today and how we can uh, live in light of the truths that are uh, presented here. So as you're flipping there, I just got to confess something to you. I am like famously, like I am famous for like underestimating things. Like anyone who knows me like really well knows that I'm just super good at like totally downplaying certain things, Right. So, like, a good example of this, like, when I was really little, my parents, like, I'd go to the beach all the time. So, I grew up in New Jersey, 10, 15 minutes away from the beach. Go to the beach all the time, and there'd be days where, like, the waves were, like, really, really choppy and, like, really big. Maybe there's a storm coming in, whatever. And I would totally be like, it's fine. Like, you know what? Like, big waves, eight, nine, ten feet, who cares? Whatever. I'm, like, like four foot nine at the time or whatever. And I, like, totally, like... Uh, underestimate the power of these waves, right? Has anyone been in that? Maybe, we don't really swim on these beaches here. It's not really like a thing because it's too cold. But if you've ever been to a beach like properly where there's waves and stuff and you're swimming and, and people are like, whoa, whoa, I didn't mean that offensively. But like, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you sometimes underestimate the power of like a wave crashing over top of you, right? Like you can have moments where uh, the ocean drags you out through a riptide or you can like go underwater and another wave can crash on top. And I'm like famously like, uh, got myself in situations where that's the case. Um, I remember moving to uh, the Midwest right after college, and everyone was like, it's a great place to live, except for about nine months out of the 12. Uh, it's not a great place to live, but the other months are awesome. It's, it's great. And um, they're like, and I was like, why? And they're like, because it's so cold. And so I had done an internship in the summer, and I was like, this place is cool. I'm going to move in January to the middle of the Chicago suburbs, which is in the middle part of the United States. And I'm telling you, I had never experienced something like it. I was driving there literally for the first time ever. I'm like moving. I can't change my mind. All my stuff's in the back of my car. And I like get out at a gas station in Indiana. And I'm like, this is not bad. And all of a sudden the wind just goes, and I have never been that cold in my entire life because I was only wearing a long sleeve t-shirt. And I was like, no, this is fine. And then the wind hits me. I'm like, oh, this is not fine. Like the power of the wind, it feels like it's like blowing right through you. People who live northeast, east coast, whatever, like you guys can testify to this. Another thing that I've famously like underestimated, there was this uh, hot sauce competition 
that was happening at this, um, at, at a place that I had uh, worked at. And it was all of these, it was like 30 like hot sauce bottles and everyone was trying, everyone was like, like doing this competition. And I was like, I, I don't do hot sauce at all. But I remember thinking like all these guys would take like a little chip and like put a little sauce in it and they'd start crying and they'd fall on the ground. I'm like, these guys are wimps. I'm going to try it, right? And so I tried just like this, like, a, like not even a proper drop, like of a ghost pepper, like ghost pepper chili was in this thing. Like there's a warning label on the side. It's like, fun fact, if you die, sorry. Like that's like what the, it's seriously, like it's like when you buy, I think you have to sign something. They're like, listen, if you die, like you need to sign this paper because like we're not like, this is your fault, right? And you're like, yeah, of course, whatever. Um, and I remember trying it and I remember literally being floored like on the ground, like this is so painful. Please stop. Why do people do this, right? And uh, I'm famous for underestimating things. And we've seen all throughout the, the, the past few weeks, uh, we're watching the power of Jesus, the spirit of God move powerfully in the life of the early church. And I never want, this is what I want for you guys to hear tonight. I never ever want us in life to underestimate the power of God. I never want any of you in this room ever reading scripture, going throughout life, understanding more about God uh, to underestimate the power that the spirit of God has and God himself has and that Jesus has given to his church. I never want us once in this ministry or whatever it is that we do together to underestimate the power of God. I never want us to put God in a box and say, okay, like this is when we go to student ministry. This is what it's like. This is when I'm really impacted at the gospel, like at at like camps and stuff. And like that's super emotional and cool. And the other parts of the year are super normal. Like I never want us uh, to get into this pattern because tonight we're continuing in our last week, right? Last week we saw uh, the power of the gospel transforms Saul, a person who's literally out to murder Christians, to stomp out this rebellion, to uh, destroy the church of Jesus Christ, now becomes the main proponent and missionary for the gospel. We can never underestimate the power of the gospel, and tonight we are going to see another incredible thing happen. There is something powerful that happens when we submit our lives to God and we know God. Last week we saw that the gospel can reach anyone. The worst sinner the most hostile persecutor, the most stubborn and the most confused soul can find and know Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to see that the power of Jesus can heal and resurrect and redeem literally the worst situations. It doesn't matter what happens to you in your life. The power of God can transform uh, any situation you're in. Any grim or dim situation, anything that looks uh, ominous, anything that's difficult, anything that's painful in your life, the power of God and the power of Jesus can heal and resurrect and redeem uh, anything. And so tonight's message is called power because it is about the power of God. And of course, there's some things we're going to have to look at in an appropriate context and understand theologically where things are coming from. But I want you to know uh, from the very beginning what tonight's message is about. We can never underestimate God's power because nothing is too difficult for God. There's no person he can't save. There's no body he can't raise. There's no situation he can't fix. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Amen? Amen. Chapter 9, we read it. We see this man on the road to Damascus, stuck in his sinfulness and persecution, radically changed uh, by Jesus Christ. 
And today we're going to see two people who are crippled uh, by disease. Uh, One of them is uh, physically crippled. The other one is dead. So like super dead. And we see God powerfully move where both of those things uh, turn, like that's not the case anymore at the end of these chapters. And I believe Luke, uh, inspired by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, is directly putting these two things together to show uh, that God is powerful. The stubbornness of souls can be saved and the, the, the loss of the loss, the people who are sick, injured, and dead can be resurrected. And both of these things are in the same chapter to show us that nothing is impossible for God. Do you want to read about it? Let's read about it. Chapter 9. Let's look at uh, verse 23. This is what God's word says. When many days had passed. That's a bit of an understatement. There's actually, uh, many scholars believe that this is actually a few years between the conversion and uh, Saul being uh, reunited with the the apostles. When many uh, days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by the night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. All right, what did we see last week, right? This man on the road to Damascus meets Jesus face to face. The last time we see Jesus face to face in scripture, of course, before Revelation. And he's changed by God, right? He's changed by God. He's different. He's not the same person that he was when he uh, trekked down the road. We see, uh, we see Saul go to imprison and to kill for the sake of uh, stopping Christians. Now, all of a sudden, uh, people are out to kill him because he is a Christian, right? Life comes at you pretty fast, huh? Radical transformation here. Uh, imagine how powerful that testimony is. The chief of the person leading persecution is now the chief proponent of the gospel. And of course, uh, the leaders at the time, they don't, they, this, is, this is too much, can't do this, can't have this. And so there's a plot, yes, to have this guy uh, killed. And it's a good reminder to us that there really truly are only two uh, responses to the gospel. There's only two responses to the gospel. There's acceptance and joy, or there's hostility and persecution. And in a world that likes to try and mix these things together, well, some people won't get it yet or like whatever, like it doesn't matter how polite someone's being to you. There's either acceptance and joy or there's hostility and persecution, right? The friend who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't want anything to do with you, like they may be your friend, they may be nice to you, but at the end of the day, their hearts are in a spot where they do not want the gospel. And so there's only two responses. And of course, Uh, we see Saul, a chief proponent of the gospel, is facing a potential death. And as the gospel of Jesus goes forth, and as you begin to share the gospel to your friends, to your family, uh, you're going to face persecution, right? I don't think that I could have, like, I can't understate this fact enough reading the past few verses and the past few chapters. Uh, When we begin to make advancements for the gospel, when ministries grow, when people start listening to you, when people start uh, understanding the gospel, there's going to be challenges. And there's always two responses. Hostility and persecution or acceptance and joy. In your life, you need to be prepared for that. You need to understand that. As you go uh, beyond these walls, I don't want you to be completely unprepared for what happens in the real world, right? And uh, cultural Christianity is not something that this church had to deal with at the time, but it's something we have to deal with. 
people who are casually uh, going to church just because it's what their parents did, right? Uh, people who uh, like to listen to uh, gospel-type things, but they don't know Jesus personally, right? Uh, they think that the Bible has good virtues and values for them, but they don't want to submit to Jesus as Lord. And I'm here to tell you that the true gospel transforms and brings joy, or the true gospel uh, brings hostility, and the true gospel brings opposition, right? And so we need to understand these things uh, going forth. Uh, and, and so uh, this is what's happening, and Saul is uh, threatening to be killed. And um, we may not face being a time and a space where we're being threatened to be killed. Uh, but we will face difficult times. And what I like here about this verse is that there's a community of people, there's a group of people who are helping Saul. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night, but the disciples, but his disciples, right, he's gained a following, he has people with him, uh, took him by night, letting him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Of course, I think of the story of Rahab in Joshua 2, right, where the uh, spies escape out of the wall. So it's this kind of symbolic thing, I think. Uh, where the gospel's going forth or the, the prophets of God are being protected from sinfulness and of course, or protected from uh, persecution and death. And um, of course, a community of people rally around him. And there's a group of people that help him uh, escape. And in our life and in our time, there may be seasons and there may be moments where everything seems to be going all right. Everything seems to be fine, right? You may be in your small group and a lot of things are going great and you have great things to report and you're not super scared, about life. No one's really uh, challenging you. Everything's really good. But I'm promising you that that is not the case for everybody in this room or anywhere. You see, the reality is uh, when a, one Christian is attacked, it's like all of us getting attacked, right? When one, one person is being persecuted, when one person in your small group, one person in your family, when one person that maybe you haven't even met who is uh, united to you in Christ is facing some sort of attack, facing some sort of opposition, uh, we need to take that personally, right? Because the family of God uh, is meant to be unified. It's not this thing where, well, Christians over on this side of the globe face this problem. No, we face that problem. We just have a different context. Well, that one person in my small group, uh, they're really struggling with their faith. People are making fun of them at school. They're losing friends. No, you need to take that personally, right? Because Jesus takes it personally. Why are you persecuting me? And when we see uh, somebody in our community, in our context that is being hurt, being uh, pressured for the gospel, we need to rally behind them. This is why we value community groups so much. This is why we want you guys to be in these groups uh, so much is because a community group is for when you're feeling great, when things are going awesome for you, you have an opportunity to rally behind and care for someone whose life is falling apart. And when your life is falling apart, you have a community uh, to rely on when their life is going great, right? And when we're all doing really bad, we have a global network of Christians around us, right? Throughout the community and throughout the country and the world. Uh, because an attack on one of us is an attack on everyone, amen? God has united us together. And Saul has this community of people around him who are helping him escape uh, persecution. You may not be the one being attacked or pursued or whatever it is. But there will always be someone you know who is. And in God's kingdom, an attack on your Christian brother should be taken personally from you. You should be willing and ready to step up to the fight or step up to support however you uh, can. And so if you're in the room tonight and you don't have that community, if you've, you know, you're new, it's your first time here, I understand um, it can be interesting walking into a new space and not 
uh, having those deep connections, but I promise this is a space and a, a place we're trying to build uh, where community is valued, right? And we have a, a place of safety, right? We have a place where we can bear one another's burdens and we can help each other when we're being, uh, you know, made fun of or whatever it is in our day and age. And I'm telling you, you cannot live in isolation. You cannot live in isolation. You can't be separate uh, from the body of Christ. You can't be separate from this community of students learning to live for Jesus, right? We're nothing without each other. We're nothing without each other, amen? I'm nothing without you. You're nothing without your community group. We are nothing without each other. And so these are uh, the disciples, of course, rallying together to save uh, Saul. Look at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, I love this passage, uh, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe he was a disciple, right? I mean, I don't blame these guys. I imagine again, they're sitting in this, like, I don't know why I always think they're in a meeting. They could have been out doing stuff, but I always like just imagine like maybe they're like hanging out, praying with each other, whatever. And someone like knocks on the door and they're like, hey, we got a guy, says he's a disciple, just wanted to let you know he wants to come hang out with you guys. And they're like, oh, cool, who is it? And they're like, you're never going to believe this. But it's actually this guy, Saul. And I can imagine like John and like, and they're all like looking at each other like, no, that's, that's, he's lying, right? That's not real. And they're like, he says he's a disciple, he knows Jesus, I don't know. And they, so they're afraid, right? And rightfully so, imagine this. Like, and they should have been afraid, right? The reputation of his past definitely uh, preceded him. They definitely understood and knew what was happening. And so they're shuddering in fear, and rightfully so. Imagine this. Like, uh, it's a very common thing. Um, not, I guess, common, but it's something that happens. Uh, a certain person is trying to infiltrate a group to tear it down, right? A certain person strategically places themselves in a core group uh, to tear him down. So they're, they're, they're cautious. They don't know about this guy, Saul. Look at this, verse 27. Uh, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, right? They're all like probably behind their seats or maybe Peter has a sword. Like he's not so good at that, but maybe he has it again. Um, and he brought them to the apostles and he declared to them on how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And at Damascus, uh, he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking uh, to kill him. Here in these verses, we see evidence of new life. We see the evidence of the new life of this man named Saul who would quickly become uh, the apostle Paul. And the group of people cower in fear. The current apostles, they don't want anything to do with him. Uh, he shows up and Barnabas says, no, no, no. This is how we know he is legit. These are the things that we know about his life that proves he knows Jesus. And what does it say? It says that he's seen and encountered Jesus. Barnabas vouches for that. I know he's seen and I know he's encountered Jesus. And another thing, two things, he's seen or encountered Jesus. And two, he's boldly professing uh, Jesus. I like how Barnabas brings him into this group of people. And for you listening to me tonight, it's important to know and understand uh, that your past uh, won't define your future in Christ. The things that you've done in your past, the things you've struggled with, the things you've said, the people you've hung out with uh, before you knew Jesus, that doesn't change your ministry now uh, living in the light of the gospel and in the light of grace, amen? Who you are now isn't who you were if you know Jesus. Who you are now uh, isn't who you were before you knew Jesus. And so when you're serving God right now, it doesn't matter what people say about your past, right? 
and there's a lot of fear. Maybe you came to know Jesus a little bit later in life and there's things you said or did and you were uh, you know, not proud of it. But I'm telling you, when you know Jesus, everything changes. This man's reputation was that of murdering Christians and now his reputation is fighting against people who would fight against the gospel. He's fighting for the gospel, right? The legitimacy of the gospel. Your past will not define your future ministry. I promise you that. And, and we have leaders and I've known leaders over the years who have struggled with some crazy things, right? I had one of my favorite small group leaders um, ever that I got to work with, no one here, um, but in the past, uh, was, was in and out of prison before he knew Jesus. He was uh, in prison uh, for, for some pretty crazy gang violence on the south side of Chicago. And he radically encountered the Lord and he uh, went through the process of restoration. Obviously, he didn't become a small group leader right away, but over the years, uh, his, his heart uh, was softened and he knew Jesus more clearly and, he, and we trusted him with our middle school students. I, I promise you this, this is true because he's different, right? We went through the process of checking all that, obviously, but he's a different person now. And your past will not define your future in Christ. It won't. Paul literally was Saul, is, has changed his name, is becoming the Apostle Paul, a radical mouthpiece for the gospel. Uh, old life does not stop you. It won't stop you. It can't stop you because the power of God is too strong the power of God outweighs your past. The power of God outweighs any mistakes that you might make. Two evidences. Uh, he has seen Jesus, he's encountered Jesus, and he's boldly professing Jesus. The evidence of Saul's old life was drastic, but the evidence of new life was even more apparent. He had a reputation, right? He's got this thing, but the evidence of his new life, was too, it was too strong to dispute. And it had me wondering as I was listening to this, is there, or as I was reading this, is there enough evidence in our life for others to look at us and to see the new life in fullness rather than the old life, right? Is there enough evidence of our new life uh, before your friends, before your family? Is there enough things that people would look at you and say there is clearly something different about them, right? It's like this old kind of thing. If you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence, right? That's something that I've heard before and I've kind of cringed, but I kind of think it's cool. When people look at you, in your life, is there enough evidence to know that you're a disciple? I know they encounter Jesus. And I know because they're boldly speaking about Jesus. These are the two evidences. Imagine this Barnabas goes up, no, 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 he's cool, he's cool. I saw him, I saw how on the road uh, to Damascus he had seen the Lord and he preached boldly in his name. Are you preaching boldly and do other people uh, know Jesus because of you? Do other people know that you know Jesus, right? It's super interesting. Like, imagine going to someone and being like, hey, I want you to know about Jesus. And they're like, I didn't even, I've been in school with you for three years. And I didn't even know you knew Jesus. How often does that happen? Hey, I, I, I feel convinced. I want to share the gospel with you. And they're like, I didn't even see you living the gospel. I didn't even know anything about this. What a shame that would be, right? Are you living your life in a way that other people can see? That other people would vouch for you clearly. Obviously, he's a Christian, right? When you take an honest assessment of your time, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the friends around you, the things that you talk about, your attitude, uh, is there a clear assessment? That person has been changed. That person's different. 
That person has something powerful inside of them. Uh, that person is powerful, not for like anything that they have, but there's something uh, about them. If you took an honest assessment, would other people have reason to believe that there is the evidence of new life in and through you? It's something we have to ask ourselves. Because if the gospel truly has changed you, there, why would we try and hide it? Why would we be embarrassed of it? Are we, again, it goes back to the fear of man. Are we fearful of what other people think? Are we fearful of what people are going to say? And why do those, out, those fears outweigh God's calling on your life? It can't. It shouldn't. The evidence of new life is clearly seen here in Saul. And of course, the apostles welcome him in and they accept him. Look at this in uh, verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, the Hellenists, these group of people who didn't affirm the resurrection or the power of the spirit, any of these things, uh, Saul's, you know, fighting against them. I love it. It's just his attitude. He's, he's uh, intelligent. He understands God's uh, moving and speaking through his intellect and his uh, logic. Uh, and when the brothers learned this, they uh, brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So it's just not the time. It's not the right place. But they don't want him to be killed. And they send him off. Verse 31 is something that I've, um, I love this verse, and it's something I pray for our ministry. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That is the sign of a growing and healthy church. Uh, It's growing, there's peace, it's being built up. They're living in what? The fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, if you are part of a ministry or a church that fears man like more than God, like just leave now. Like get out whenever you can. Um, we need to fear God most, right? We don't fear what man says or what their opinion is or how we can sway or change the things we say uh, to sound more appealing to culture. Uh, they're fearing God the most. And we're watching the church grow and multiply in number and in peace and in joy. Amen? That's something that I want for our ministry. I want us to fear God overall, right? When God pulls on your heart to do something, to say something, to pursue a person that needs to know Jesus, I want you to fear God most, right? I don't want you to be like, what if they make fun of me? What if, they, uh, what if I don't have the right words to say? I need you, and we need to fear God the most, because when we fear man the most, uh, we will literally be enslaved to their opinion, and I don't use that word lightly. We will become people who are completely dependent upon other people, and that's not how we're supposed to live. It's not how the church is supposed to operate or thrive. The fear of the Lord drives the church And there's peace, right? This is a season of peacefulness. The persecution uh, for right now seems to have been dialed down and the Lord's regrouping his people and and, and building solid foundations for the future to come. And so uh, that's the evidence, um, the evidence of, um, of a new life and the evidence of a new life. Now look at this in verse 32. Now as Peter went here, so again, switching scenes entirely. As Peter went down here among them, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydia. And there he found a man named Aeneas, beridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. All the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord." Now there, was a, that, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. 
And when they had washed her and laid her in the upper room, since Lydia was near Joppa, uh, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men with him, urging him, please come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took to him to the upper room. All the widows stood besides, uh, beside him weeping and showing uh, tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter pulled them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days uh, with one Simon, a tanner. Here we see a display of God's power. Something that I said I don't want us to underestimate ever. As you live life, as you read scripture, as you come to know the Lord, as you engage with God on mission, we can never underestimate uh, God's power. And here in the book of Acts, God is fully uh, displaying the power that he has, right? Jesus isn't here. Jesus isn't here. He, he, he's not here in this, in this verse, right? He's not here in this passage. But we see the things that Jesus does and did uh, still happening, right? It, it, it's still going on. And we have to look at this and see and understand the correlation. Uh, even though Jesus isn't present physically with them, uh, Jesus' mission is living on, amen? And the power of God is still going forth. Uh, the power of God wasn't contained, contained to just uh, Jesus himself, right? Of course, the Holy Spirit uh, lives and breathes throughout us, and uh, we serve a powerful God. Chapter 9, the, the persecutor turned preacher and the dead raised to life. We cannot underestimate the power of God. There's no stopping God. God resurrects. He heals. It's in his very nature uh, to do so. Right? Anyone in the room who professes Jesus is Lord and they're a Christian and you know Jesus, uh, you have been resurrected from the dead, so to speak. You have been uh, changed. You used to uh, enjoy and love the things that would bring us death. Uh, you used to live in the light of your own sin. But because of the power of Jesus, uh, we've been resurrected out of that lifestyle. That's why we uh, physically uh, have submersion in baptism. It's because we believe that this is a symbol of being buried with Christ and raised again with him. It's what's happened. It is what, uh, who we are as Christians. And here in the, in the book of Acts, we see these beautiful radical um, encounters with the Lord that completely uh, change everything. I believe God will display his power in order to build his uh, church. Two things I wanted to note about these healings. Number one, uh, Jesus is on full display. Peter's, of course, the one doing this. Peter's here. Peter is the one uh, who is uh, physically walking and he tells this first man to rise up and walk and then we see the next person, Tabitha, is physically raised to life from the dead. She wasn't sick, she was dead. And we see Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, see them raised to life. Uh, but we see this, what? Uh, Jesus Christ heals you, verse 34. What does Peter say? Jesus Christ heals you. And then verse 35, and many of them turned to the Lord. The same thing in this next passage. We see uh, Peter kneel down and pray for resurrection, right? We see this uh, beautiful, beautiful thing uh, where he's praying for the power to resurrect this person. In verse 42, many all throughout Joppa, many believed in the Lord. So we clearly see 
uh, that healing isn't just like a thing that one person can possess uh, for themselves. It's not something that uh, you're gifted with uh, for your own uh, spiritual benefit or f- uh, uh, financial benefit or whatever it is. It is all about the display of Jesus Christ. In both of these situations here, in verses 32 through 43, we see Jesus uh, mentioned as the one who healed, and we see uh, people turning to the Lord. Uh, Peter was never in there in that moment saying, man, that was pretty cool what I did. I can't believe Jesus gave me this like superpower that I can kind of use. Maybe I should turn this into a following. It is always, always, always about uh, Jesus. And number two, Jesus uses this to build the kingdom. We see that um, Peter is being shown his legitimacy, right? There is this specific calling on the apostles, I personally believe. And that God gave them this power so that they could verify uh, the gospel and the power of God. And that they could verify that these things were so and that this thing was uh, true. And, but this does beg the question when we read these things, when we look at these things, we have to ask ourselves the questions, what is the normal and current relationship with spiritual healing or physical healing uh, from the Spirit of God? And so there's a bit of a side tangent here that I want us to go on, but I believe it's important uh, because as we apply scripture, we have to understand it through its entirety, right? If I took this verse, I said, I want you to open up to verse 32, and we're going to read three verses, and I'm not going to share anything else, and if anyone has a broken leg, come up here, right? That would be, you'd be a really bad pastor if you did that, a really bad teacher, uh, because the entire Bible is profitable for teaching, and the empi- entire Bible, when we view our lives uh, through the lens of scripture, uh, we can see things clearly, right? But if we only decide to like rip out certain pages and look through that, we, we, you can't see clearly, right? It's like if you had, if you had one uh, contact lens in and not the other one, right? It's just, you're still not gonna see everything clearly, right? If you had half of one contact lens in, it's not even gonna work, right? I don't have contacts, I don't know, but I'm imagining it wouldn't work, right? No, it wouldn't. And so we have to view scripture uh, through the lens of its entirety from the beginning to uh, the end. And so, of course, we see what? We see in Matthew chapter 28, what does Jesus say to do? What does, Ma- what does he say? Actually, I'm going to flip there. I didn't, de- I, I didn't decide this earlier, but here it is. Super easy. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So this is the great commission. This is what Jesus tells us and his apostles to do with their lives. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I read that to you for this point. I believe that if um, spiritual, physical healings are normative in uh, today's culture and in today's uh, walk with Jesus, then I believe Jesus would have been more specific in the Great Commission and in the rest of the New Testament letters, personally. If this is something that we're supposed to emulate, uh, there's nowhere in the Great Commission. And fun fact, there's over 70 times in the New Testament that a healing or resurrection takes place. And only four of them are outside of the Gospels and the book of Acts. There's only four. One of them's in 1 Corinthians and the other one's in James chapter five. And in 1 Corinthians, it's just lifting, uh, listing the gifts. And one of them is healing. There's legitimate um, uh, gift of healing. That is something that I believe still happens in one way, uh, in, one form of a, in one form or another is what I'm trying to say. Uh, over 70 references in the New Testament and only four of them are outside of the Gospels and Acts. And, and so the question is, what's the standard operating procedure when it comes to miraculous healings? 
I'm glad you asked. And of course, this is what I believe. And many people will fight about this, argue about this, whatever. And this is just what I believe through uh, the lens of scripture that I see. James chapter five, this is another reference to uh, the Lord's miraculous healing. And so we, t- we preached through this passage like a little over a year ago. And it says this in, in James chapter five, verse 13. You don't have to flip there, but um, if you want to look it up afterwards, I'd encourage you to read it. Is anyone among you suffering in a room full of this size? Uh, the answer would be yes. There are people who are hurting. Uh, let them pray. Interesting. Someone's suffering. Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? All right, room full of this size? Yes, there's a lot of people going through good things. Let them sing praise. Okay, praying, singing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That doesn't mean spiritually. That actually means physically saved. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be uh, forgiven. And so I believe the apostolic ministry, right, the, the ministry of the apostles is, is unique and specific. And so uh, before, and again, we have to also keep in mind, this is before uh, the scripture is completed and canonized. And so uh, God is just literally uh, breathing power over this early church, right? And now uh, we receive power from the Holy Spirit and from the word of God, which these people didn't have the word of God at the time. They have the Old Testament, but the New Testament's literally happening. And so I believe God did a couple unique things through uh, the apostolic uh, ministry, right? And there's, there's a lot of things in scripture that are unique. All right, without standing pedantic or whatever or getting on a side tangent, um, there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, the Red Sea being split in half, right? When Moses and the Israelites are at the very end of the rope and they're uh, being pursued by the Egyptians, uh, God, and through God's spirit, splits physically the Red Sea in half. And it says the road that they walked uh, was, like, uh, was like a regular road. It was like it was solid ground, right? It wasn't even squishy. It was this incredible miracle that God did. And we can read that. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, and I, I hope it hasn't happened, where the application to that is amazing. Go outside, walk down to the Columbia River. If you have enough faith, you can split it in half and avoid the I-5 bridge. You just walk instead, Right? That wouldn't, be a great, uh, that wouldn't be a great application. Or like manna from heaven, right? We, do, we shouldn't expect to physically walk outside and see manna fall from heaven. Or when Peter's walking on the water, we shouldn't, uh, the application shouldn't be, okay, go ahead and try and walk on the water. What we do see is consistent characteristics about God. When we see the story of the Red Sea, we know that God delivers his people. That's just something that's true about God. He will do that. He has done that in the past in miraculous ways, and he still does it, I think, in miraculous ways as well today. God delivers people. When we see manna fall from heaven, uh, we know that God provides. God provides for you. He cares about you. He'll give you everything that you need. Some leaders in the room can can confess and profess that uh, it's a miracle the way that the Lord has blessed them financially or influentially, right? In moments and seasons when they've messed up their lives, uh, the Lord still provides, and, and some of those things can be miraculous, Peter walking on water, God cares about you. God cares about you, and he wants to embrace you. He loves you, and he, he, he cares for you. And so when we read passages like this, we know, and I believe without the shadow of doubt, that God heals people. So if you're wondering this whole time, there's what I think is true. I do think this happens. 
I think that God can raise people from the dead. I think God uh, can uh, heal people who are sick and injured or, or physically deformed. I believe that those things can happen. But I believe uh, that it's the power of God that does it. And I think there's a lot of things happening, and there's been, in, in, honestly, just in the past 100 so years, uh, where we have these um, faith healers who take their show conveniently on the road. They never stay in the same place. They go around, and, and, and they heal people. And if you contribute to them financially once a month online, uh, conveniently, you might get healed as well. And we see that's just not consistent uh, with Scripture. But I do believe that God heals. I do believe that we view it through the lens of James chapter 5. What, what did it say? It says, let them come to the elders, right? And so I think that there's this beautiful thing. I do believe God heals people. I've prayed for people. I've anointed people with oil. I've asked the Lord to heal them. I, I've done this. I believe that it happens, but I believe it happens through the lens of what? James chapter 5. And, and I think that anyone who would look at passages like this really, really narrowly and say, see, this is, this is normative, uh, I just wouldn't expect that. But if you're here and you're praying for a miracle, I want you to hear all of this to say, I don't want you to stop praying for that miracle. I don't want you to walk out and be like, well, God sounds like he used to care. He used to be really cool. I still believe that it happens. I still believe if you're sick, if you're hurt, right, I will pray with you. I will. Like, I, I, we have a whole process. I can't tell you, and we don't do it publicly. We don't say it out loud. You won't hear anyone talk about it. But here at our church, uh, people pray for one another, Right? It doesn't need to be on the stage. It doesn't need to be a million lights are recorded. Uh, but there's been elder meetings where people have prayed and asked God uh, to heal. And we've seen it happen, right? It's not always this instantaneous, miraculous thing. Uh, but God still does this. God is still in the business in redeeming and rescuing. And I never want us to lack or, 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 or underestimate God's power. I don't want you to underestimate God's power. And I don't want you to walk throughout this life uh, thinking uh, that we don't serve a powerful God, right? I want you to know that. We serve a powerful God, and we can't put him in a box. Chapter 9 just completely blows us away. The most stubborn person in the world, the most evil person, right? At one of the most evil persons probably at the time uh, in history, someone who's out to destroy people and Christians becomes saved. Uh, someone who is crippled is physically uh, able to walk again. Someone who is dead was brought to life. And so we serve a powerful God, chapter 9 would say. And I don't want you to walk throughout this life frustrated. I think we can get so spiritually tired when we're working so hard uh, to do things that only God can do. We're trying hard to change that person. Only God can do that, <laughs> Right? Well, I'm trying so, so hard to work hard to get my uh, degree and I can go to this college and this future that I need to build for myself. Right, God can be, only God can build your future. I'm, try, I'm just trying so hard. I was just like, this seems so, like only God can do these things. And I think we get so frustrated and so tired because we, get, we put God in a box and we say, this is how he's going to operate. This is how he's going to serve me. When I'm sad, I can go to him and things are going to be better. Uh, we serve a God who's powerful. And when we pray these prayers, I want us to actually pray them, right? I want us to expect when we say, God, could you show us your power? Uh, I want us to be prepared for that. I don't want to just like say that and, and, and like kind of believe it. I want to uh, believe that with our whole hearts. And I believe miracles still happen today. And I think there's some groups of Christianity section like that, that say it has to be, it, it brings legitimacy when you see instantaneous, miraculous transformation. And I, I think some people mean well, and I'm not trying to diss them. That's just not where I am. But I believe that every time uh, you see someone uh, a stubborn, um, 
Like, and maybe you've seen this in your life, like a family member who used to hate the gospel and they used to hate church, all of a sudden, slowly over five, six, seven, 10, 25 years, again, none of you guys probably would have seen that long, um, but leaders in the room, uh, when you see that person one day raise their hand like this in a worship service, that's a miracle. That couldn't have happened without the power of God. And we can't look like beyond that power. It's like, well, where's the miraculous? Like, that's a miracle. That is a miraculous thing, right? Uh, I believe when we watch someone who used to selfishly live their life, they spent all their time, all their money on themselves, the things they wanted, uh, get up and start serving other people, that's a miracle, right? When you profess Christ and people start to slowly understand and they have the scales fall from their eyes and they want to learn more about Jesus, these are miracles that happen. And we can never, ever uh, put God in a box and uh, pretend like we're going to control him. We're going to use our brains and our theological understanding uh, to go forth and, and, and do this. Because at the end of the day, wherever you fall on this kind of spectrum and there's, there's groups of people who believe different things, um, if we understood the full power of God, we'd all have our minds blown, right? We'd all probably one day get to heaven and think, I was probably wrong about a few things, right? I, I, it doesn't matter. No one's going to get to heaven and be like, I understood it perfectly. Thank goodness, right? That's not what we're going to be thinking. At the end of the day, we're all probably wrong. We're all like trying our best and figuring this thing out. But I, all this to say, and forgive me if I'm going on a bit of a rant here, uh, but God is a powerful God. And he is on display here. And I still think he's doing things like that. I don't want you to be swayed by, I think, false teaching or by um, manipulative, emotional, um, you know, preachers, whatever it is. I don't want you to be swayed by those things. I want you to understand uh, and know what we believe to be the truth. But God is still uh, powerful. He is still uh, on the move. And he's still on the move in our lives, right? And he should be. We want him to be. We ask him to be. And I never, ever want us to decide what's going to happen in this space, what's going to happen with our ministry. If I plan this thing to a T and God doesn't show up or God doesn't move, it is a mistake and it is a failure. I, our ministry belongs to God. And he can do what he wants with it. He can do what he wills. And all this to say, we believe in the miraculous power uh, of Jesus. So as we conclude, as we close this, uh, this night and this whole series, right? For the past nine chapters, one, I want you... Uh, to read through them again. I want you to read through these as we're viewing it uh, through the lens of we're completing it tonight. Uh, I want us to think about these things. There's a few things I've been reflecting on these past few months. Number one, uh, the Spirit of God gives you strength for mission. That's what we learned through one, verses one through three. Uh, God keeps his promise. He kept the promise that the Holy Spirit would come and it would empower us. Uh, and he, in he inspires and empowers us for mission. Uh, number two, God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way, right? God does things that we don't expect. The apostles probably don't like. There's persecution that breaks out. Uh, people are being thrown in prison, but God's way is still the best way. And number three, God's power is unmatched. God's power is unmatched. In your life, there is no situation uh, so dismal, so painful, so uh, detrimentally uh, treacherous for you that God can't solve it and heal it and fix it. Never. There's no situation uh, that is in your friend's life who is so lost or just doesn't understand or they're so sinful uh, that God can't save them, right? We don't want uh, to put God in these boxes, amen? We don't want to 
Uh, we want to view God and, and see him for who he is, the most powerful being ever, the most powerful, uh, high and lifted up, anointed one, separate from us. His power is unmatched in your life. I don't want you to go around as a powerless Christian getting tossed by temptation and sin and fear of man. I don't want you to get tossed or swayed by any of these things. I want you to live in the power of the Spirit living and moving through you. And so the question is, after we've read through these passages in Acts, and before we return at some point, I don't know, in the next year or so again to Acts chapter 10, the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Who is God calling you to? What is God calling you to? And what are you going to do? Will you listen and respond with God on mission? Will you embrace uh, Jesus in faith if you haven't already? What are you going to do? Are you willing to be bold? Are we willing to be bold for the gospel? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this night. Thank you that uh, you're a powerful God, right? And you're not a God that we can uh, look to when it's convenient, when we want to, when we uh, feel like it. Uh, but you have the power uh, to rescue and heal and redeem at all times. Uh, we love you, Lord. I pray that you would continue to refine us, to show us uh, your truth throughout uh, everything that we say and everything we do. Uh, God, help our, our students to be bold uh, for you in their schools, in their uh, church groups even, God, in their, uh, in their families, God. Help them be bold. Help me to be bold. Help our leaders in this room to be bold and to uh, avoid the fear and the temptation that comes with the fear of man. Uh, God, we love you. We're thankful for you. Help us to sing and to worship you with conviction. And uh, we would understand this as we sing to a powerful God. We, we offer up powerful praise to you. Uh, help us to, uh, help us to uh, see you in your full glory, Lord. Uh, we pray this in your name.